The Structural Engineering Channel podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network, which can be found at cement.media. That's cement, C-E-M-E-N-T dot media. Welcome to this episode of the Structural Engineering Channel podcast, a podcast focused on helping structural engineering professionals stay up to date on technical trends in the field and to help them succeed in their careers and lives. In this episode, we're talking to George Hubbard, a structural supervisor at Pavarini McGovern, about his career and how he returned to engineering after exploring some other career fields. He also talks about the importance of communication and engineering and how you, as well as your firm, can improve your communication skills. I'm your co-host, Matt Picardle. I'm a licensed engineer at DCI Engineers, practicing on structural projects in California with an undergraduate degree from Cal Poly Pomona and a master's in structural engineering from UC San Diego. And I'm your co-host, Kara Green, and I work with Hilti's North American headquarters as the Structural Engineering Trade Manager for the U.S. and Canada. I'm currently in EIT in Texas and received my bachelor's in civil engineering from the University of Alabama in Huntsville. And now I'd like to introduce our guest for this episode, George Hubbard. George graduated from Bowdoin College in 2003 with a bachelor's in physics. Following graduation, he moved from ski instructing to teaching high school to investment banking to theatrical improvisation and then back to engineering school at the University of Illinois at Chicago. That's definitely an interesting career path. After graduating in 2011, he spent four years at WSP Cantor Sanuk in New York City as a design engineer, and then four more years at DeSimone Consulting Engineers as a project engineer and manager. In 2019, he switched to the construction management side and began working for Pavarini McGovern as their structural supervisor, where he oversees all concrete and steel scopes of work. Now let's jump into our conversation of the week. George, welcome to the show. We briefly introduced you to our guests earlier on in the show, but in your own words, can you please tell our listeners a bit more about what you do on a daily basis at Pavarina McGovern? So Pavarina McGovern, right, is mostly a uh, residential high-rise uh, construction manager in New York City. I'm a structural supervisor here, and my role is basically to review projects as they come in, make sure they're buildable, make sure they're as cost-effective as possible, see if there are any ways to work with the design team and find better ways to build the building. And then when the project's underway, under construction, I'm out in the field a bit, making sure things are going smoothly, kind of coordinating between the design team and our field team, uh, coming up with field fixes. You know, sometimes the design team has their agenda, and we have our agenda, and it's nice to have an engineer who kind of speaks both languages. So I do that and I try and help win business as well by pitching our capabilities to our to potential clients. So I'm in the field, I'm in the office, a little bit of everything, which is kind of nice. We've already introduced you and you had a really interesting career path and an exciting career so far. Can you tell us what made you decide to come back to engineering? After kind of bouncing around, doing a bunch of different things, I realized that I really like things that at the end of the day, you can see your hard work that you've, you know, you dedicated, uh, you know, a chunk of your time to. 
for me, where it's where it's buildings, like at the end of the day, you know, you're walking down the street five years later, and there's your building that you helped build that's right there. And it's really cool to be able to point to that. Or you can go into Google Maps and be like, you know, here are the buildings I built. Here's, you know, whatever, point around the city. I love that. You have a lasting impact on the community, lasting impact on the city. And that's a nice feeling. The sort of careers I had before this had their own very cool elements and, and benefits to them. But when I was a teacher, you know, you're helping the kids, but like, you know, when they graduate, they're gone and you never get to see like the, the great things they go and do. And I found that kind of difficult. When I was an actor, when I was doing improv comedy, believe it or not, in Chicago, you know, you get some really great, like obviously adrenaline and feedback from the audience. The, the stuff you, you do on stage gets an immediate reaction, which hopefully is usually good. Sometimes it's terrible and people just are horrible about it. So there's that great feedback. But again, improv and acting is very ephemeral. Like it's, you know, I was doing theater, so it, it, it disappears as soon as you do it. So I really like the fact that uh, engineering has got, it's very tangible, right? right? Kind of whatever aspect of engineering you're involved in. So that's been very cool. When I was reading your bio and reading a little bit about you, your career path actually mirrors a lot of mine. So I took theater in high school. And so when I saw that you did acting, I was just like, oh my goodness, because there's such a disconnect. You know, people, of course, between structural engineering and an engineering mindset, they don't identify that along with a more creative mindset. Even in my current role, you mentioned, you just mentioned teaching. I did a lot of continuing education and I'm actually ahead of that. So it's so interesting to hear your perspective, but... I think one of the most interesting things about structural engineering and some of the things that you touched on specifically is it's such a diverse field and you can kind of tailor some of those past experiences to your current role. And I believe it actually even makes you a better structural engineer. You've already discussed a little bit, especially about communication. What do you like best since you have made those career changes What do you like best about structural engineering specifically? I know you like the tangibility of it, but an applause is also tangible. True. But at the end of the day, you don't walk by that theater and be like, there was a great show I did. Like, no one cares. No one remembers. No one ever. Come off the high. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You know, I've got like a little playbill that I save and people are like, oh, that's great. Why do you still have that? That's not useful anymore. Beyond the tangible aspect, I really like the fact that as, at least in my experience as an engineer, we're doing uh, pretty much uh, private development in the city. So I'm working with architects and developers. As the engineer, you're really the bridge between architects and the contractors. You're dealing with architects who are talking about their, their vision for the building, the flow of the space, you know, the layouts. They're talking about really tight tolerances, and they're really concerned with the aesthetics of the building, where then you also have to talk to the contractor who just wants A to B. How do I build this? How do I do it most economical? And uh, these tight tolerances are ridiculous. We're not building to that. So you've got to be able to kind of talk to both. I found that when I was an actor or a teacher, you're often, and it can be great, you're talking to very like-minded people. You're talking to people who are other actors. You're talking to people in theater, people in uh, education. and Stage crew. Yeah, stage crew, exactly. You're all kind of like working sort of towards the same thing, there's this nice professional tension between architects and and contractors that hopefully develops a project that is the best possible for the owner. But as the engineer, you're kind of in the middle and it's kind of nice. You're kind of having to be able to talk both languages, which I really enjoyed. I enjoy architecture. Um, My creative side enjoys seeing what these architects in the city come up with. They're obviously much better at it than I am. So it's cool just to be a fly on the wall as they're designing buildings. And then also be able to then go to talk to contractors and translate it. Like literally, you know, you go from like, well, we want this, the lobby to feel like, you know, like you're floating in a cloud of air, right? And the contractor is literally like, I can't fit the beam under the duct. 
right? Like it's two very different conversations that, that you have on these projects. And as an engineer, you got to be able to understand and communicate with both of them. That's been very cool. I, I love that aspect a lot about structural engineering. What's the difference between working for a structural design firm versus a construction management firm? I feel those two are same field, but different perspectives. Uh, any lessons learned and how's that experience like? Yeah, it's been a great experience. It's been a real a real learning experience because that sort of aspect where I was saying, you know, as, as an engineer, as a designer, you're talking to the architect, you're talking to the contractor. I think that sort of dynamic grows even more when you're an engineer at a construction management firm because I'm we're still talking to the architects, still talking to the engineers, but then you're throwing in the trades as well. And so you're talking like to Union New York steel contractors who are, you know, pretty gritty, rough guys, some of the smartest guys around that I've been working with. It's another layer of communication you got to have. They're not concerned about procurement. They're not concerned about um, necessarily what's what's the most economical. They just want to get it done, you know, as quality as possible and as fast as possible. So I found that a bit of a learning curve coming to the CM side, being able to talk to those guys. And they're a great resource. I mean, talk about problem solvers. It's nice when you're an engineer and you sit in an office, you're like, oh, we'll just, you know, you'll just thin that beam out a little bit. Or you'll just coat the flange and you'll put it, you know, throw on a shear tab, no problem. But then you get to the guys who actually have to do it in the field. And they're like, we have four inches to work in and you want me to weld this thing on with a five inch fillet weld. It's another element entirely. So they're the guys in the field who are really building it. And it's great to pick their brains and see. I mean, they're the real problem solvers. They, they, you know, they look at us in our, you know, suits like you guys have no idea what's going on, which in some cases is fairly true. So I found that to be a difference. While we're on, kind of on the topic of, or as you've been kind of talking about communication, which is a big thing for me, I find that engineers in general aren't often the best communicators. They never really are, have to be. I was always amazed at how few, at least in, in the program that I went through for engineering, how little presentation skills were required. It was all just about the technical and the math side of things, which is obviously very important, but the communication aspect was really lacking. And I come across a lot of engineers in the city who are phenomenally smart people, great problem solvers, but can't communicate their ideas to anyone else, really. And when you're in a design firm, you are often surrounded by people like that, but you all speak the same language. You all know what a moment connection is. You all know what you know a beam failing and shear means. You know what you're talking about when you're talking about reinforcement limits in a column. Like you got to have the same language so you can get around those issues. But as soon as you go outside that bubble, you start talking to the architect, you start talking to the contractors who don't all know engineer speak, don't know where you're coming from. Things can kind of break down. I've seen some um, really good engineers get promoted into a position like project management position where they're now more client facing and they have a real tough time. And I think that's a failure of our universities a little bit and a failure of our companies to not give those people those skills. They just assume that, oh, you're a great engineer. You know, you know, you can design a building no problem, you know, ETAB, you know, safe, you know, all these great programs that you can use. Of course, you'll be able to communicate it. And it's not always the case. And they're not giving people enough opportunities to develop those skills, whether it's just getting them to client meetings and letting them see what it's about for a little while before they're actually in charge of it. A difference that I've seen is that construction firms do that better than design firms. Design firms tend to put you in front of a computer, let you do your design work, which is great, which is fun. I love that stuff too. But then on the CM side, communication is really the thing. I'm no longer in charge of the design. I'm not stamping drawings. So the communication is what's most important now. I know for my school, they at least had one public speaking class. And that was actually really one of the most practical things once I got into the industry, because as a structural engineer, you'll be talking to, yeah, of course, your teammates and other engineers, but 
when they put you in front of the owner or the contractor, I notice like younger engineers sometimes aren't ready for that. Like they can't handle, I don't know, the pressure or, or whatever. And then they kind of go into engineering mode and they just sprout numbers and no one can understand. That. No one has any idea what's going on. Yeah. What's the point? They could just look at the computer output and be just as confused. They need that engineer to bridge that gap between the software or whatever to practical world or to the at least the contractors to make it practical. So one more question on that. You said the firm, the construction firm does that a little better. Is there any, do they go through trainings on that or how do they kind of prepare you in terms of uh, communication? That's something that I've always wondered. So I kind of came into the construction firm, like not from the bottom, but kind of like already kind of having at least some experience, you know, with being in meetings and, and communicating with architects and, and developers and whatnot. But what I've seen on at least the Paterina McGovern, and I assume it's similar uh, elsewhere, is that the younger uh, team members are in the meetings right from the start. And they're not running the meeting necessarily, but they're there maybe taking minutes. Maybe they're responsible for, you know, one or two line items on the agenda. So they've got something they're in charge of, and that's about it. They're not running the meeting. And so it just lets them dip their toe into the water, gets them the experience and exposure. So when they are a full PM, they are fully in charge of a project. Sure, there's some nerves when you're, you know, in charge for the first time, but at least they've seen the process. They know what's going on. They've just got a level of comfort that you don't get by just not seeing it. I think they do that. And I think just the nature of the job, too, is you just you have to be a good communicator to be a good construction manager. Again, because you've got so many different parties involved. I mean, one of the downsides, I think, to being a construction manager is you kind of just herd cats all the time. You're always trying to get the trades to do their job. You're trying to get the design team to bring in their drawings, you're trying to get the owner to make decisions. Like you're this sort of hub of just like getting people to do their jobs when they have other things they want to be doing or just other jobs they're working on. In construction management firms, people get promoted who are uh, good communicators because that's how you'd be a good construction manager. You communicate well and people see that and they promote you. And so like all the role models at CM firms are great communicators. So you see that as a young construction manager, as you see the great communicators, like I want to be like that guy. Oh, this woman is fantastic when she's in front of the client. I want to do that. It's construction management firms do that, I think, just naturally. Whereas design firms, you know, you put an engineer in like, man, this guy can really just crank out those ETABs models. He's got a great, he just did that link beam design, no problem. The foundation is done in a day. It's incredible. Promote him, right? Which is great. Like, that's important. Those are important skills, important things to do for a design firm. But at the end of the day, then when you get that person into a management position, all they kind of know is the number side of things. The thing that things break down a little bit. As a younger engineer, you see all the people getting promoted for the good technical skills. You don't see the value in the communication skills because they're not getting anyone anywhere. It's one of the frustrations I had in the design world is that the skills that I think are, are my best or my communication skills weren't valued very much. And so I just didn't feel like it was a place where I was going to be able to grow with my specific skill set. Thanks for that. That was a, a great answer and uh, really interesting insights. Yeah, just having me think about all that stuff too, about the promotions and the, the technical field and the differences between structural and construction management side. And I had just a small follow-up question because I know you mentioned that a lot of your junior engineers are, it's like being in meetings. And I remember as a junior engineer in my design position before my current role, or even before the role prior, I was exactly the same way. I was very introverted. Even though I took an acting class, that was like totally different persona, totally different person. And I didn't learn how to properly communicate until I was actually forced to do it. And it was like compounding those experiences to make me, like I can think of my very first presentation I ever gave to a client. And it was, face to the floor. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. 
We've all been there for sure. Yeah. And it was one of those situations where, you know, you just kind of have to, I think, kind of collect yourself after, take the critique and move forward and make yourself a better communicator because you can't stop communicating. Exactly. Whatever you do, communication is the most important thing. You can be the best engineer in the world, but if you can't get your ideas across, then what's the point? I mean, we've all been there. We've all had those meetings where you're like, I just totally botched that. I didn't say what I wanted to say. They steamrolled me. Someone got me off my game and I just collapsed, you know, you choke or whatever. Like it, it happens, but you just take it as a learning experience, right? It never rarely goes exactly how you want it to go. I know those feelings well. And frankly, improv gets you over falling flat on your face very quickly because you do it all the time. It's where you're learning. It's embarrassing. How I don't know if you guys have ever gone to see live improv. Often it is horrible and it is painful to watch. I used to go to um, like a comedy club in Houston and that's one of the skits that they would do would be like an improv and it's either hilarious. Oh my gosh. When it's good, it's, it's nothing better. But man, when it's bad, it is. I know people that refuse to go see improv because of those moments when it's bad and everyone in the entire audience and on stage feels awkward and feels like someone just stepped on a grandma or something. It's just a horrible feeling. But so as a performer, you get over that pretty quickly. You're like, oh, wow, that was terrible. Anyway, what's next? You learn from it. It's a great learning experience on how to fail and not let it ruin your life. I had a director and one of the favorite improv, I guess, games that he would play would be like the yes and skit where you couldn't say no, or you couldn't put a period on the sentence. And that is so difficult. And that concept of yes and is so powerful. People even who aren't in improv have heard of it before because it's, it started to become more of a ubiquitous thing. But the idea of just accepting what's in front of you and adding to it is such a great characteristic in whatever you're doing. Whether it's you're just talking with a friend at a bar or you're in a meeting with your boss or you're talking to your father or whatever, like just accepting what the person says and adding your own emotion to it or adding your own ideas on top of it instead of saying, no, I don't want to talk about that or no, that's wrong or shutting someone down. It's such a better way to be. One of the, the greatest things that, that improv gave me that I that's translated to the um, engineering world is that yes and. I've been in so many meetings where you're trying to problem solve and the architect will be like, well, can we get rid of this beam? And an engineer will just say no. And then you're not solving the problem. You're just like, yeah, that beam is important. It probably can't go anywhere. But it's not to necessarily say that if an architect asks something, you just say yes, because that obviously doesn't work as an engineer. But you got to really listen to what that engineer is, or that architect is saying. Hey, can we get rid of that beam? That means the beam's in the way and it's causing a problem. So although you probably can't get rid of it, what can you do? So if an architect asks me, can we get rid of that beam? I'll say, oh man, that beam's important. So you're like, you're agreeing that, that it's in the way. Like, oh, that's important. And I understand it's a problem for you. What's the issue? Is it too deep? Is it too wide? Maybe we can make it put a steel shape on the inside of it. It's a concrete beam and thin it up. Giving them options, you know, agreeing that, yes, I understand this is a problem. And here's some ways to get around it. As opposed to saying, no, even though you're saying this is kind of the same thing. No, that beam's got to be there. That beam is supporting a column above. It's not moving. By coming out from a place of, yes, I understand what you're saying. Yes, this beam is a problem. And here's some ways I think we can fix it. You start the conversation. Even if none of your ideas work, you've started the conversation and you guys can spitball. And you're not going to get an architect looking at you like, really, you're just going to say no to me and then I have to come up with all the answers? Everyone wants a team member that's going to participate. So that concept that you brought up, Cara, of, of yes and is so critical. I think in anything anyone does ever. It's just like I found when I first learned that phrase, I learned that the friends I like the best are the ones that yes and me just like hanging out, right? Where I'm like, oh man, I loved that movie. And they're like, oh yeah, that was great. Or even if they're like, 
oh no, that movie was terrible. Are you kidding me? Like, but they engage in the conversation as opposed to like, oh, that movie was great. Yeah, you want to play? You want to go? You want to like do something else right now? Like, okay, well then you didn't even listen to what I was saying. Such a powerful concept. I get animated about it. It sounds like your improv skills have carried over into both construction and your engineering and friendships. So yeah, yeah, very true. (laughs) For better or worse. That's really interesting. It's like, uh, I haven't really thought about how that would translate into the communication aspects, but I can definitely see that uh, just from your improv example, it'll teach you about failure, speaking up and yeah, getting shut down. But also it even seems that it'll make you a better communicator in terms of listening to what the party's saying, whether it's the architect, the contractor, it's like, yeah, that's a problem. What can we do about it? And seeing that it is important to them. I mean, they wouldn't have brought it up, but you as the engineer, you're the problem solver. So help them solve their problems. Like it's a problem to them. What we can do is like what you were saying, you know, coming up with different solutions, coming up with different options. So you can be a team player. I mean, I think that at the end of the day, that's what all the firms, all the parties want. That's an interesting listening skill because you can't just be like, no, they're dumb. It has to be there. It's like, wait. Right. Even if that's what you're thinking sometimes, right? You can't say that. You can't approach it that way. And even in your um, improv skills, one of the key things is listening, like active listening. Yeah, again, and it, like if you're not listening, you can't yes and someone. You can't understand what they're saying. You can't agree. You can't move things forward. The basic horrible improv scene starts with, you know, someone being like, hey, son, come on into the room. And the son being like, I'm not your son. I'm your grandfather. And then like, that's not funny. And it's not a scene. Like what two people who don't know the difference between their, their son and their grandfather, like that's not a thing. That's a pretty basic way of where yes and, at least in the improv world, breaks down. There's nuances to it when you get further into it. And so when they had that, again, that example, the architect saying this beam, I've had architects say, hey, can we eliminate all the columns on this floor? That's an architect not understanding how structure works, which is okay because they don't really have to all the time. What they're saying is the columns are in the way, right? And of course, every architect would love for a fully column-free floor, right? It's not going to happen. If you're listening, right, what they're saying is these columns are a problem and you can say, oh, okay, what is the problem with these columns? Can we move them? Do they need to be smaller? What is the issue here? And then you can start really figuring out the problem. As opposed to saying, no, you can't remove the columns. Are you crazy? Which is a natural reaction, but it's not addressing the, the, the needs of the project, the needs of the architect, and it's not communicating very well. I think that the yes and uh, is, goes hand in hand with just being a good listener, listening to what the other person uh, needs and wants. It's communications two ways. If I'm explaining something that I think is crystal clear and the other person isn't understanding it, that's a failure on both of our parts, or maybe just mine, because just because I understand something, I might be using words that aren't known to both parties. I literally went through a whole meeting talking about how we were getting around, how we were going to coordinate mechanical ducts through a PT beam. And it was really difficult because the, the mechanical contractor like just wasn't understanding what we were saying. He was like, well, why can't we put it here? We're like, no, we got tendons. And he's like, can I just stop you? What is PT? Oh my gosh, this guy has no idea what post-tension is. He's a mechanical contractor. He might not have seen it before, especially in New York, where we don't do it very often. And so I was like, oh, okay, let's back up. And then so we explained what PT was. He totally got it. This meeting that was taking us 45 minutes to bang our head against the wall was solved in 10 minutes just because we were all smart, but we were just using the wrong language, not communicating well. And it wasn't his fault for not knowing. It was more our fault for not explaining it. The communication goes, it takes two to communicate, someone to listen and someone to, to speak. Listening, yes, and all important stuff for an engineer, for anybody. For newer engineers that are coming in, or even seasoned ones, are there any other ways they could improve their communication skills? 
don't know, do you have any advice for improving communication skills for engineers? I mean, like there's real, just sort of like get out of your comfort zone ways, like literally go take an improv class. They're usually offered in any city. Just do a little bit of research there around. If that terrifies you, which I 100% understand, public speaking is like number one fear, like right above death. Like it's crazy how much people fear public speaking. Go take a class. I have one friend who did um, Toastmasters, which is a program that like that's sort of an organization where you just sort of get up and give a toast. It's a fun way to get public speaking. There are things like that that are really like sort of concrete ways to, to get some experience. If that scares you and that is just like something you're just not going to do, I'll fully understand. If you're at a design firm, ask your bosses, ask your managers if you can come to a meeting and just listen in and just be there and, and see how people communicate. See what works, see what doesn't. Oddly, most actors are really good observers. Uh, you would think they'd mostly be these uh, extroverts, which a lot of them are, but a lot of actors are really introverted because they're just really good observers of human nature. They're always watching. So just being in a meeting, seeing how it works, seeing who's a good communicator, who's not, will just teach you, you know, a little bit just by osmosis of what works, what doesn't, what kind of style you might gravitate to, what's, you know, are you a loud, brash person? If you're an engineer, probably not. Are you a quiet person who, you know, could just, will take your time and speak methodically? Sure. And if you can do that while listening to people, that works great. So I would say get yourself in meetings. A lot of times, at least what I ran into was I'd ask to go to a meeting and they'd say, like, you've got a lot of work to do. You can't go to this meeting. You got to be flexible with that. You say, yeah, I understand. I will get it done. And if that means maybe working a little bit later or sacrificing something else, so be it. Because design firms shouldn't do that to you, but they do, unfortunately. And you got, so to you, for your own benefit, you got to sort of get around that and get yourself in meetings. And also try and talk to other people in your firm who aren't engineers. I found it really useful to talk to our marketing team who just come at projects from a totally different thing. They have got so much to teach you and they often love hearing about, they work in an engineering firm and probably don't know much about engineering. So they love talking to you and learning about it. So you learn how to communicate your ideas to them. You do a good job of listening to them and what's interesting and important to them on their day-to-day. Because obviously design firms are full of engineers, but there are also a lot of other people, admin and, and marketers and uh, company I used to work for, we had a, um, our maintenance guy, our janitor, basically, who was just a great conversationalist. He always wanted to engage you in conversation. He had no idea about any engineering, but he wanted to know. He was interested. And so communicating with him was a great way just to sort of get out of your comfort zone a little bit and you know have to explain some sometimes some complex things to someone who doesn't necessarily have the background. Those are some, some ways I found to be useful. And I think you touched on something really important is learning how to explain very key engineering concepts to people who do not have a technical background at all. And I think that even makes you a better engineer when you can explain like a post-tension cable. Like it seems, I think in the engineering community, like such a well-known concept, what post-tension cables are, but where a mechanical contractor, they're like, excuse me, what is a post-tension cable? (laughs) They can't see it. It's in the structure. Like they never run into it. A lot of them probably have never seen it. So one of the big things with my company right now is like the acronyms. We have acronyms for every division in the company and they don't intersect. You have to have like this, I guess, curiosity one to figure out what everyone, like what the playing field is. (laughs) And uh, I think that is so important, but just exactly what you said and to touch on this point, you have to get out of your comfort zone, which if any engineer here decides to go take an improv class, I 100% support that because, and there's nothing like if you take an improv class, there's literally nothing but positive reinforcement. Everybody wants you to do well. Because <laughs> it's such a, 
out-of-body experience that everyone's uncomfortable, especially in those early classes. And so everyone's just like, hey, that was awesome. You tried so hard. It was great. Or you tried so hard. It was terrible. But that was, I mean, we're all going to fail. You can just do the dumbest thing in the world and everyone's just like, that was, I'm so glad you tried that. That was great. It really is a a pretty judgment-free space, which is nice. So you work with all of the trades, you work with engineers, you work with architects, and you work, obviously, it sounds like across the board, marketing, finance, all of the different types of disciplines, trades. What do you see as like the best way to promote better communication? I feel like right now, everyone is stuck on email, we're doing Zoom calls, but you know, sometimes even this constant um, state of communication that we have of always being able to email someone, always being able to call someone, text someone, it still sometimes prevents the point getting across. What would promote better communication through an entire company, do you think? This is part of the transition I had to make a little bit to the CM side. As as an engineer, I would be responsible for getting sketches out and, and responding to field questions. And I would just, you know, send out the email and respond. And then send it into the ether and be like, I hope they do that, right? Or like, obviously there's an inspector following up or whatever, but like off my plate, not my problem anymore. As the CM, it's very much of like getting the problem solved, making sure it happens in the field, following up, did it get inspected? Like all the knock-on effects, you have to be the person who tracks it all the way. Where on the design engineering side, you can kind of just live in a little email world. You can't on the CM side. And I think because you can on the engineering side, people just do it because it's possible. But to your point, Kara, it's so much is lost in an email or in a, in a text. Like communication is obviously not just about the words you say or the words you write down, but it's about your tone. It's about body language. So I find myself getting angry sometimes writing an email about someone who did something that just like I told them not to do or, or something that's just gone sideways or I've told them a billion times and I'm still doing it. Like if I find myself like having an emotional reaction while I'm writing an email, you shouldn't be sending an email. Emails are great for quick communication, getting facts down on paper, sending it out but they're horrible for communicating emotion, right? Like it's, it's really hard to do. So I find it for myself when I'm getting angry or upset, pick up the phone. It's a whole lot easier to be angry at someone on email than it is when you're talking to them on the phone. It'll calm you right down, I promise. And then the other person will get your tone a little bit too. If you're a little bit upset, they'll understand that, oh, okay, I've, I've done something to bother this person. And whatever that does is what it does. But it's hard now when you say face-to-face is important, right? We're in sort of COVID world right now, hopefully nearing the end of it, but it's hard to get face-to-face. Everything's you know done over Zoom like this, but even the Zoom, even the phone call is better than email if there's some emotion attached to it. If you're just sending out an agenda for today's meeting, yeah, don't call someone and tell them the agenda, email it out. But like if there's emotion attached to an email or if you just kind of want to, you know, I find myself writing an email and all of a sudden it's like a page long. I'm like, nope, that's not an email. That's a phone call. No one likes getting a book in their inbox. Verbal communication is important. Actually, I just had my first in-person pitch meeting today for a new job. Everything's been on Zoom for over a year. And the first in-person pitch meeting, and it was incredible how much easier it was. The back and forth, uh, like this, the, the ease of, of talking, the questions that could be peppered back and forth. There was none of that lag, none of that sort of like everyone staring at a box a couple of boxes and wondering whose turn it was to speak. There's something is lost by being remote all the time. And so the more in-person you can do, the better, but you can't always do in-person. I think that the flexibility that we all now have of being able to do things remotely is a real benefit, but we don't want it to get lost for the fact that communicating is easier and more effective in-person and face-to-face. One of the things you said was talking about email and you earlier you discussed about working with steel workers who are a little rough around the edges, which also steel workers in Houston are a little rough around the edges. 
I met with one that I worked with fairly closely. So I was a field engineer for about five years and I worked with steel worker very closely. But one of my very first emails was a very tersely worded email. And I remember like just feeling this dread meeting him in person. Oh, it was like other dread. I was like, he's angry at me. Like he's upset. And then I meet him. I'm going to get yelled at, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so we had this conversation. We had a face-to-face conversation and he told me what the problem was, which I then realized his frustration was at the problem, not necessarily me, but also meeting him face-to-face. He turned into a totally different persona. He was so nice, so polite. And you mentioned it, making a phone call ever since that point in time. So he met me, I met him. And after that moment, he no longer emailed me angry emails. It turned into a phone call. He would call me up if there was an issue. And it just, it changed our form of communication. But it also made me realize like, he never had like ill intent towards me when I was reading that email. It was just that form of communication. I have friends that I won't text because they're like angry texters. I will only call them and they're lovely people, but like, you know, they just, for whatever reason, they're, the way they communicate sometimes over email or whatever is like, ah, uh, it's not good. It is what it is. Obviously email and texting and all that's with us forever. I think not letting it dominate your life is really important. Yeah. Knowing when to use those tools and even the people that, how they prefer to communicate too, uh, just like you guys were saying. Definitely agree on the Zoom and meetings part. That's something that I kind of got sick of <laughs> during this whole quarantine. It, it doesn't replace for sure in person. <laughs> so I'm sure a lot of people can relate. George, to end off here, for engineers considering a career similar to yours, do you have any advice to give them? I think that's really interesting. Like how seamless is that going from structural to construction? Any thoughts on that? For me, it was probably as seamless as it can get. There certainly were some, some hiccups because I started here in fall 2019. So I had about like four months before the world turned upside down. And then my you know role changed. But beside the, those details, if you're looking to make a move from the design world to the construction world, first, be nice to the construction teams you're working with, right? Like I got hired on a project that I was the engineer on because I was looking for a move. When the project was wrapping up, I was like, hey guys, I'm looking for jobs. Like, yeah, we're actually looking for a guy like you. Come on over. So I ended up like then working on the same project, but on the other side, which the owner loved because they didn't lose their engineer. And so that was pretty seamless. But uh, again, to the communication thing, like networking and, and, and having your feelers out there is really important because, you know, sending your resume around to get to kind of make a career shift can be difficult because you don't fit right into that box. Someone's looking for a project manager and you're, you're like a construction project manager and you're not a construction project manager. It's tough maybe to make that sell. But if they already know you, they know who you are, they know your capabilities, they know your background that transition becomes easier. So start growing that network and, t- and talking to the, you know, if you've been a designer for a while, you probably know a bunch of contractors in the city. So talk to them. Also, one thing that I probably didn't do very well that I'm now regretting is that, you know, in design meetings or construction meetings, you know, I'd be there for my structural piece and I'd say what needed to be said about structure. And then I would just kind of zone out and check emails or whatever during the, the mechanical portion or when they're talking about doorknobs or whatever. I didn't care. It wasn't part of my job, which is fine when I was only a structural engineer. But now that I'm on the CM side, I kind of know I need to know a little bit of all that stuff. I need to know what a P-TAC system is. I need to know why certain door finishes are, are, are better in rentals than others, or at least it's useful if I know that stuff. 
I wish I had paid attention more in those meetings so that I had a little bit of that knowledge base because I certainly didn't learn it in school, certainly didn't learn it from my fellow engineers, but I could have learned it by paying attention more in the design meetings that I was a part of. You know, if you're looking to make a move, keep your ear to the ground. I think the best way to make a move is, is through people you know. Yeah, I think that's always the best way. I mean, yeah, sending out your resumes. I mean, it's kind of like winning the, the lottery or sometimes. A little bit, yeah. Knowing that person or that group one-on-one, they know you, it's one of the easiest ways to do it. George, thanks so much for coming on and sharing your insights with us. For me, that was really interesting, uh, that whole improv thing and the, and the acting and the communication, how all that linked together in communication and even knowing a little bit more about the construction side because it always amazed me on how much construction firms need to know about everything, just like you were saying. And us as engineers, we don't need to know all that, but at least knowing what their problems come into and trying to see their side of it. I really appreciate that and you promoting that. For sure. And I think you got that nailed for sure. Your background is so close to mine because right now or prior to this role that I have now, I was working mainly with contractors. So I was working with engineers and contractors and it's a totally different type of dynamic. And I really appreciate your perspective on it. It's a, especially in a construction manager role, because I remember working with construction management and they were always busy and they always had like 80 line items that they were working on that had, I only helped them with one. And that was like, (laughs) got to go home, right? Yeah, exactly. I'm very thankful sometimes that I'm not a full project manager staffed on a project. I can kind of come in and be like, you need help? No, bye. And then leave, right? Whereas they're stuck there. So it is a kind of a nice rule. I always think about um, a couple of teams that I worked with and they were always like fairly stressed out, especially the PMs. And it was always, we talked about like tones and emails or tones through text. And I was always very conscientious about being uh, timely in my responses just so I didn't delay them. If they're doing their job well, they're making it seem that whatever you need to deliver is critical to the project. Even if it's not, it's part of the magic of being a CM. Yeah. Often it is though. Often it is because there's not much on a project that moves slowly. I'm sure. Yeah. You guys all know that. Yeah. Well, thanks again, George. Uh, Really great to have you on. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Great to meet you both. I hope you enjoyed the episode today. We would love to hear your feedback, comments, and or any questions you may have. To leave them, please visit structuralengineeringchannel.com. There you will find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, which is episode number 53, as well as any links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during the episode. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Until next time, we wish you the best in all of your structural engineering endeavors. The Structural Engineering Channel podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network. The opinions on the show are those of the hosts and guests, not their employers. For information on EMI's people and project management skills training programs for civil engineering professionals, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org.